For a lot of people, Christmas is, is not a lot of fun. It's not about family. It's not about football. It's not about the shopping. For a lot of people, Christmas is just flat chaotic. It's hectic. It's frenzied. And for a lot of people, Christmas is, is not just a season of the year of that, but it is a snapshot of their, of their whole year. Their hearts are frenzied and, and chaotic. For other people, Christmas is a, is a sad time, a feeling of loneliness and despair, remembering loss. Someone should be here this year, and, and they're not. I was reading a, bl a blog a couple days ago, and uh, this person, not a believer, just said, here's the human condition that we struggle with regarding uh, this, this uh, restlessness going on in our heart. Feeling disappointed in ourselves and others. You ever, ever been there? I've been there just a few times. Burdened by shame or guilt from things we've done. Just can't shake it. Feeling hurt or wounded. Finding it difficult to forgive. We'll talk more about forgiveness this coming year, but man, a lot of people struggle with that. Not being able to, to shake off anger over unfairness and injustice. Not, not just the world, but something that's happened in your life. It wasn't right. It wasn't right. And then anger just kind of boils over and over and over again. Being suffocated by fear. Feeling lonely, abandoned, misunderstood, or even unlovable. Knowing how, here's the last one, knowing how to deal with dying and death, our own and that of others. Here's what the writer said. Our troubles are especially hard when there are few solutions. Our troubles are especially hard when there are few solutions or none we welcome. No solutions we really want. The human heart is a fertile soil for restlessness and confusion and hopelessness until we find the one who can give us peace. In this Christmas series, we focus on the biblical truths of hope and joy, next time love, but today, let's zero in on peace. And I'd like for us to do three things. Let's determine how do you find it? Don't you want it? Don't you want the chaos to be gone, the hecticness to be gone? Don't you want calmness to be there? How do you find it? Number two, how do you cultivate it? How do you grow it? And then number three, how do you share it? How do you share peace into the lives of those in your family and for your, your network of people? Take your Bibles and uh, open them to Luke chapter 2. I want to introduce you to a man. I, he, he's one of my favorite Christmas characters. His name is Simeon. And uh, Simeon is a, a man of peace. We're going to look at him uh, just a second in more detail, but I want to set the context first. 
If you look at Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 22, Luke 2, 22, again, Luke is writing to a Greek audience, not a Jewish audience, and so he likes to explain things as he goes along to his Jewish readers or to his Greek readers who wouldn't be familiar with the Old Testament. And so Luke is writing in chapter 2, verse 22. Let me read uh, 22, 23, 24, and then we'll work through those. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, this is Mary and Joseph, brought him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And offer, they came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So we know when we look at Luke chapter 2, verse 22, that Jesus is 40 days old. According to the law, on day 40, a woman who had given birth to a son, if it was a girl, day 80, to a son, day 40, would go to the temple for the rites of purification. And other things would happen there as well. If it was a firstborn son, as Jesus was, there would also be a sacrifice given according to Luke, or Exodus rather, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It was called the redemption of the firstborn. And you would dedicate the firstborn. You would, you would uh, present the firstborn as holy unto the Lord. The sacrifice you were supposed to bring was a lamb. A lamb of that day cost about five shekels. It wasn't much, but if you were really poor, you couldn't afford five shekels. And so God said, I don't want anyone not to come to sacrifice because of their economic state. And so he allowed for the, the, the most inexpensive sacrifice you could bring, and that would either be a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so Mary and Joseph came that day with Jesus, 40 days old, and they offered either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons because they were poor. So just think about it. Here, Mary and Joseph come dressed as poor people dress, living as poor people live. And they bring the, the most inexpensive sacrifice to dedicate their son, who is also the son of God. The other thing that stands out to me in those first three verses of, of, of this section, they did everything according to the law, didn't they? The law of Moses and then the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is repeated three times in this section. Everything according to the law. When, when God sent his son, he, uh, he didn't give Jesus any shortcuts. God made sure his son played by the rules. So when they got to the temple that day, day 40, they met a man named Simeon. Verse 25 describes Simeon. He was a righteous man. He was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Man, these are four characteristics that we need to talk about. Pretty significant. First, Simeon was a righteous man. If you trace back the word righteousness to the Old Testament, we first see that God is righteous. And this cool word because it was taken from a Mesopotamian uh, river reed. They would pull this river reed out of, the, uh, out of the bed of the river and they would use this river reed for a construction tool. It was basically a leveler. They made sure their foundation was level. They made sure the, the walls were level. 
and the leveler was the straight edge. It was the standard by which you measured everything. And so God says, I'm going to use that to describe myself. I am the river reed. I am righteous. I am the straight edge. I am the standard of everything. And God says, when you trust in me, you are made righteous. That's a position. We're made righteous. No one can ever change that. But there's also a practice of righteousness. When someone is described as righteous, we can't see this invisible position that we have, but we know they are righteous by their deeds. And so Simeon, his actions demonstrated righteousness. He wasn't perfect. He needed a savior like everyone else, but his words, his actions were upright. They were measured against the standard. And again, he failed. He sinned like all of us. But if you looked at, if you graphed his life, you would see more upticks than downticks. You would see a pattern of doing what's right before God. It also says, Luke also says he was devout. I love this word devout because it simply means he was all in. Literally, the word means taking hold well. It describes a person who takes their walk with God seriously. That person will not just show up on Christmas Eve and Easter. That person walks with God. They love God. It characterizes their life. If they're at school, it characterizes their life. If they're at work, it characterizes their life. If they're at home, it characterizes their life. They are all in. We like to say a person who follows hard after God. That would be a good description of the word devout. Also, we see that Simeon is described as the Holy Spirit is on him. You say, well, what, what's the big deal there? All of us as believers have the Holy Spirit in us, right? When we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit right then and there comes and lives inside of us. And that's true. But remember, this is before Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and the Holy Spirit came in Acts. During this time in the Old Testament, so we're still kind of living in the Old Testament period when we're looking at Simeon, right? During that time, the Holy Spirit could come at certain times on certain people for certain reasons to do certain events. For instance, Gideon. Go back and look at Gideon in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came on him and gave him victory in battle. Look at Samson in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came on him. Remember, he was in the temple and allowed him to knock down the pillars, killing the enemies of God. Look at Saul, the first king of Israel. He had the Holy Spirit on him for a while, but then the Holy Spirit left. That's when, why David in Psalm 51 prayed, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. I saw what that did to Saul. But here, the tense of the verb remained on him is in the tense that means it stayed on him. It was upon him. And so God chose this man, Simeon, and sent his Holy Spirit on Simeon for a special assignment. The other thing that we see about Simeon is he was waiting. You ever been waiting on something? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, or a, another word would be the comfort of Israel. Now, to understand what he was waiting on, we have to see what the context or the history was at that time when Luke wrote his gospel, when Jesus came. Caesar Augustus at that time ruled the world. And Caesar Augustus was a crazy man, but he did some good things. First, he built roads throughout the Roman Empire. These amazing roads that connected the empire together, which allowed for trade and travel. 
He also wanted to entertain, he wanted to keep the people happy for manipulative reasons, but he wanted to keep the people happy, and so he built these huge coliseums where people could go and, and be entertained. He brought circuses into town. He built huge buildings. He did a lot of good stuff. And, and the thing that you would say, the thing that, that Caesar did that you would most appreciate was this thing called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Finally, the world was at peace as Caesar Augustus ruled. So he was a crazy guy, but at least there was peace. Except if you lived in that little sliver of land called Palestine, Palestine. The Jews didn't serve Caesar Augustus. The one thing you had to do with Caesar is bow down before him as God. The Jews said, we don't do that here. We serve Yahweh. And we don't go by Roman customs and Roman laws. We, we go by the law of God. God's law always trumps the laws of culture. And we won't bow down before any gods, and we don't like the entertainment, and we don't like the immorality. And so the people didn't like the Jews, and the Jews really didn't like the people either. And there was a lot of persecution that went on. The Jews were killed. They were oppressed. They were taxed into poverty. There was this thing called the desolation, abomination of desolation, where a guy named Antiochus came and, and, and slaughtered a pig in the temple, and you just don't do that. And the Jews rebelled. In 164 AD, or BC rather, the Jews rebelled under a guy named Judas uh, Maccabee. And he said, we're taking back the temple. This enough is enough. And so Judas got an army and they took back the temple. And the day they took back the temple, the day they had that victory, they consecrate, they re-consecrated it. They dedicated it. And that consecration or dedication, the Jews still celebrate today. What do they celebrate? Hanukkah. Hanukkah, celebration of lights or celebration of consecration. December 22 through 30 will be this year. And they kept their independence. This is amazing. In, the, in, this, in this huge Roman Empire, Israel kept their independence for 100 years. And then in 67 AD, 67 BC, Rome said enough of that. And from 67 BC to 37 BC, in those 30 years, the Roman army rolled in, and man, they, they decimated Israel. They, they, they crushed the rebellion. It, one commentator says, between, in those 30 years, no fewer than 150,000 Jews died at the hands of the Romans. Think about that. 150,000. During that time, there was a, they, they, uh, Rome set up a puppet king named Herod. You remember him? And there was so much killing going on, the Romans were coming in and killing all the men and women and children. Puppet is said to have, or, or, uh, Herod is said to have said, would the Romans deprive the city of all its inhabitants and possessions and leave me king of the wilderness? Like nothing's going to be here when you get done. So when we come to Luke chapter 2, the Jews are living in oppression and, and political unrest and poverty and chaos and fear. Now, they also live with the promise. Back in Isaiah, the prophet said, God's going to send someone to deliver you from all that. God's going to send someone to bring comfort, consolation. God's going to send someone to bring peace. God's going to send someone 
to proclaim liberty to the captives, Isaiah 61, and open prison to those who are bound. And that's what Simon, Simeon rather, was waiting for. He was waiting for the prophecy of Isaiah to come true. He was waiting for the comfort of Israel or the consolation of Israel. And here's the cool thing. Look at verse 26. God revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he saw the consolation of the, the prophecy of Isaiah come true. Look at verse 26. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I love the way Luke describes Jesus, the Lord's Christ. Christ in Greek, Messiah in Hebrew, the word means anointed one, the comforter, the one who's going to bring peace. Now, most people in Simeon's day thought that the one who brought peace would be a conqueror, would ride in and just like Judas Maccabee, would, would deliver Israel and establish the kingdom like they had back in the days of David. But Simeon knew that this Lord's Christ was not going to bring a national independence, but what? A spiritual independence. He was going to bring freedom into the heart. So, the Spirit tells him, go to the temple, led by the Spirit. In verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. That simply means on that day, God guided him into the Spirit. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to do, according, uh, to do for him according to the customs of the law. Think about this. Simeon, this old man, this prophet, this righteous, devout man, Holy Spirit on him, waiting for the consolation of Israel, walks up to this this poor couple. And by God's guiding, he takes Jesus into his arms, 28, and he blessed God and said, look at verse 29, listen to his prayer. So he's praying to God. I can only imagine his eyes are looking to heaven. And he's holding this little baby and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant, what? Depart in peace according to your word, according to those prophecies in Isaiah. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And here's where we get it, that Simeon understands it's not a conquering Messiah. It's a Messiah who's going to come for spiritual reasons because look what he says. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence, not just for Israel, but for all peoples. He's going to be for everyone. He's going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, not just the Jews, are now going to understand how they can have peace. And he's going to be for the glory of your people Israel. It's going to be for him too, for them as well. But then look what he does. As Joseph and Mary marveled at this, we see in verse 33, Simeon, who you can just imagine is praying to God now, looks them straight in the eye. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For a sign that is opposed, skip the parentheses, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. What's Simeon saying? 
He's saying, your son's going to be the dividing line. Your son is going to be the one who, depending on a person's response to him, will cause destruction, fall, eternity from God, or the rising, the word resurrection, of many, those who trust in him. And at the end of the day, Simeon says, he is going to be the one who reveals the hearts of man. Depending on how a person responds to Jesus, their heart is revealed. It's not going to be without an awful cost. In those parentheses, Simeon says, and Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And when we read that, we only think of Mary at the cross, right? As she watches Jesus beaten and bloodied beyond recognition, die for our sins on the cross. Jesus is the one who finally brings peace. So we wrap up and uh, get ready for communion. There are three things that uh, we want to do. Let's think of three aspects of peace. First of all, peace begins with God, only through Jesus. And so I'll ask you this question, have you trusted in Jesus alone as the only one who can bring peace into your heart? Our separation from God, our sin, causes us to be restless. It causes the chaos. It causes the unsettledness. It causes the searching. Sometimes we we try to find peace in another person, and so we run to a relationship, and we think this person is going to give me peace. This person is going to give me everything I ever wanted. And certainly, if we're with that right person, they give us some great things, but they can't settle the chaos in our heart. And we try to deify another person or make them our God, but it never works, does it? That's why a lot of marriages struggle. Sometimes it's materialism. Man, we think if we could just have this one thing, if we could just do this, if we could build up this and retire early, man, that would be, that would be peace. But talk to people who've done that. And they're just as unsettled as they were along the path. And sometimes it's in a position. If we could just have this position, I could just do this thing with my life then I'd have peace. It never works, does it? Because only Jesus can give us peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, as we have come to Christ by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God only through Jesus Christ. And even as believers, we struggle with that sometimes. We have the position of peace, but we struggle with peace in our life. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not the peace of the world. It's not, it's not that promise of peace that's just futile. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, I've got something to give you. That, that transcends all the futile, empty, 
promises of the world. Get real peace. So do you have that peace with God through Jesus? You, you know if you do or don't. Have you trusted in Jesus alone as the only way to have that peace? That's question number one. The second thing we'd like to talk about with peace is how do you cultivate it? How do you grow it? Even as a believer, right, we have peace with God, but I, I, we admit it. We still live some pretty hectic, chaotic lives. We can still be pretty restless. So how do we cultivate that peace? How do we grow that peace? Well, I'm going to give you a way to do it. It's pretty simple. You've heard it before, but it's very profound. In God's word every day. That's it. Meeting with God every day through his word. It's that simple. Hearing what he has to say and allowing him to give us the peace that we need. Because I promise you, if you are in his word, he will meet you where you are every day. And he'll give you what you need to push the chaos and restlessness away. I wish when we came to Christ, everything worked out well, right? Wouldn't that be nice? But we can have the peace of God and still go through some really, really, really hard times. Illness comes, job loss comes, death comes. Harry and Susan Vilsack took a trip to Europe a couple months ago. Great trip, really enjoyed the trip. And they did what you and I do when the plan landed, landed back in uh, the States. They turned on their phone. And when they turned on their phone, they learned their 42-year-old son who had who had done uh, tours of duty in Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran. He, he just had a heart attack, 42-year-old. By the time they got to baggage claim, they learned that he had died. How do, you, how do you respond to that? How do you bury a child? Some of you know that. How do you find peace in that situation? Listen to Susan's story. This is a boy that was healthy, 42 years old, prime of his life, has a beautiful six-year-old child, but he was deployed six months at a time. And when he was over there, Psalm 91 was my crutch. I had my friends praying that every single day for his deployments because he was in danger. And he came home. So that showed me right there, that was God's timing. His timing wasn't then, his timing was now. But I do want to share, I have never in my whole life had the peace that passed every understanding I could ever imagine. I know how the Holy Spirit lives within me, but he took over. And so I'm thanking God every day for this precious gift, and I know I'll see him again. So I want to just thank God and thank every person that people are still coming up and saying, we're praying for you. And you know, I don't take that lightly because those prayers carried me these two months. They really have, and I just want to thank the people for really being, not just, you know, talking the talk about Christianity and praying, but walking the walk. And we're just surrounded by love, and I just thank God for that. It's hard, you know, it's hard to bury your child. It's hard um, reminders daily of things that, you know, you hear. There were things that happened in letters we got, and just beautiful things, like 
One of his friends shared he took him to chemo every week. Now this is a son I knew, but not knew in that aspect of being there, you know. So I was, I said to Harry, we raised, we really raised, and I thank God for that, a son who left a mark on the world. Philippians 4.7, and it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing about that scripture, which I've studied for many, many years, an attitude of thanksgiving contributes directly to inward peace. I would define peace as knowing that no matter what happens, God's in charge. And he will give you the peace that you need. He will. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And I have never been, I love God. I actually can't tell you how much I love God because you know I love God. Um, but to see what he's done, even from before Matt died through this, that that peace, I can't understand it. I understand the scripture, but I can't understand the way I felt because it was like the Holy Spirit carried me. It was awesome. And I, I just want to thank God for that. And I am blessed. I mean, I am so blessed. And I just want to encourage other people to reach out and bless other people. Well, being in scripture every day helps because I'm in a Bible study and I'm studying Isaiah. And I think being in scripture, God sometimes will give you a little bit of a, a scripture that's perfect for that day. You have your bad days, you know, and, um, but I try not to let that happen, really, because I, I really want to be a witness to people that if you have God in your life, you can get through anything. And let's face it, we're supposed to have joy in our trials. And I'm trying to have joy in my trials and show other people that you can have joy in it. It's not easy, but that you can have joy in your trials. Continue to pray for the Vilsacks as they walk through that. But did you hear what Susan said? That she never has felt this level of peace before. I know some of you could share that same story. But one of the things that she said and if you know Susan and Harry, they're in the Word of God. And they've, they've cultivated that peace. They've heard from God as they read his love letter to them. And so there's just, no, there's just, there's just nothing else we can do to really cultivate that peace by, right, except being in God's Word, starting there. That's foundational. So here's the challenge that we want to we want to put out before you guys and try to do this together. In 2020, we want to read through the Bible together as a church. You guys with me? Let's read through the Bible together. You can sign up uh, on your sermon notes. There's a place for you to sign up. Daily devotion, get it. Uh, we will send to you um, a daily reading plan that'll come every every morning. And you can read that plan. If you miss uh, that day, then we'll have a, uh, I'll make some comments on a part of the passage that we've read that day. We're working to have a comment section and some things we can do to encourage each other because I know when you get reading, it's a great start. We're all excited. And then you get into some of the passages. It's hard to get through. So we'll encourage each other and talk about how some of, some of the things that may not seem so relevant or may not seem so practical really are as we see how God teaches us always through his inspired word. So we'll do it together. We'll have a fun time doing it. We'll interact together. But you got to do it, right? 
You cannot have God's peace unless you have the foundation of peace, and that's reading God's word. Okay, one more thing. Peace starts with God. That's it. Through Jesus. You got to cultivate that peace. And here's the question. Here's the deal. We live in community with other people, right? And so sometimes that's really hard. Because sometimes there are people in our lives who really are hard to be with. And they cause restlessness. And they cause anxiety. And certain situations, whether school or work or home or whatever, cause this, this, this confusion in our hearts. And so that's the reality. Here's what I want to do before we close. Are you a person who sows peace? Are you a person who sows chaos? If you're a person who sows chaos, it means this. You're a person who dabbles back into the sin of the old life. When we're a believer, we're a new creation. Not perfect, but we're a new creation. And we leave the past behind. But when we dabble in things like lust and anger and bitterness and all those things in our past, the old man, the old person, we get our hands dirty. And we bring those dirty, sinful, infected hands into relationships. And we, we sow chaos. Anytime we are bringing sinful hands into a relationship, sinful heart, we're sowing chaos, not, not peace. Let me tell you a story. In 1846, a young woman who was going to have a baby made her way through the Austrian countryside and knocked on the big doors of the Vienna General Hospital. Two nurses came to let her in, and they guided her to the clinic run by the doctors. At the Vienna General Hospital, they had a lot of people. They cared for a lot of people, and so they had two clinics. One clinic was run by the doctors, and the other clinic was run by midwives. And it was just the luck of the draw as to where you were assigned. When she heard that she had been assigned to the area of the doctors, she begged the nurses to reassign her. But they said, rules are rules. And so she stayed with the doctors. She had a little baby boy the next day, and three days later, she died. And that wasn't unusual. In Vienna, during that time, every year, mothers whose babies had been delivered by the doctors, every year 600 to 800 of them died. They said it was, uh, they said it was safer to give birth on your own in the alleyway than by the doctors. But the midwives, only 60 in that same period of time. So there was a guy named Dr. Semmelweis, and he said, something's up here. And so he, he, he did some research, and he checked some things out, and he, he looked at the ventilation, and he looked at different things, but there's still this high mortality rate among, among those delivered by the doctors. And finally, he discovered the issue. The doctors did autopsies, 
and they worked with cadavers. And cadavers, no, no matter how they die, have a bacteria. And it's 1846, and the doctors thought nothing of working on a cadaver and then going right over to the birthing rooms, maybe washing a little bit with water, same clothes, and giving birth. They, they, were, they were carrying the infection of the dead body to healthy women. And women and babies were dying. And so some of us said, we can't, can't do this. And he came up with a chlorine solution. Again, pretty rudimentary when you think about it, but in that day, a chlorine solution where the doctors had to wash their hands in this chlorine solution to kill the bacteria, and the mortality rate declined pretty significantly after that. Some of us wrote this. I have handled cadavers extensively. I must confess here that God only knows the number of patients who have gone to their graves prematurely by my fault. When we go back into our sinful ways, sexual sin, addiction, pornography, bitterness, jealousy, anger, critical spirit, gossip, when we go get our hands messy, we carry that infection into our family. That's why a lot of marriages are struggling. We carry that infection to our kids. That's why a lot of kids are struggling. We carry that infection to those we work with. That's why a lot of people we work with don't want to work with us. We're believers, but we're carrying this infectedness of our old life. The good news is we don't have to. We're going to sin. But 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us. Hands and heart from all unrighteousness. So today as we take communion, here's the deal. If you're a believer, you're welcome to take communion. But I'm going to ask you this. If right now God is saying, you know what? Your hands are dirty. Your hands are dirty. You're living with unconfessed sin. And you're spreading it to everyone in your life. Then just let the cup and the bread pass. 1 Corinthians 11 says we're to examine ourselves when we take communion. Let it pass. And instead use this time to say, God, I'm going I'm to get myself right with, back right with you. I'm your child, but my hands are are infected by unconfessed sin, maybe habitual unconfessed sin. And I'm not going to live like this anymore. So, Father, do your work as we take the bread and the cup. Lord, don't let us live with the bacteria of the sin of the old man, of the spiritual corpse, Help us, Father, live with clean hands and spread peace, the peace that you give us through Jesus. Be with us as we take communion. Do your work, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.